to the book of Jude. I will do something that our uh, that Pastor Fleming here has not been able to do, and that is to uh, conclude a uh, study of a book of the Bible in less than three years. <laughs> He's been taking shots at me all week for various different things, anything from where I went to college to how I sing to... <laughs> to my handwriting, so i got to take at least one shot back at him. All right, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Christian fellowship that we're able to have, and may we were able to eat together and uh, discuss your word and discuss everything that is going on with fellow believers. Thank you for everyone that prepared it. Lord, help us to be grateful for all that you've given us. We ask these, uh, also, Lord, I ask that you... Uh, use me merely as a conduit. Don't let the words that are spoken be mine. Let them be yours. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, looking at the book of Jude here. First off, I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through 19. Just follow along there. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept their first estate, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in whose things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity." When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, and without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh when ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, 
And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be, ye who, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit." We see there in the first part of the chapter there, Jude, or the book actually, Jude, he's the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Uh, last series that I was able to preach, we uh, went through the book of James, James being the half-brother of Jesus, and Jude is also the full brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus as well. And so these were both men who grew up very close to Jesus. However, neither of these two men were saved until after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Neither of these two men believed that their own half-brother was the Son of God till after he raised from the dead. And God went on to use them in mighty works. First Jude, he greets them, and then he tells them why he's writing to them. He says, I give all diligence to write unto you the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, I like this here. It's talking about contending for the faith. To contend is to fight. And it is to fight a good war and a good fight because what we are fighting for is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I uh, mentioned earlier in my little introduction, I took a little bit of a, a, little bit of a stab at uh, Pastor Flaming there about his uh, thorough study habits of the Bible, which is a good thing. But... Um, just to give you a little bit of a comparison, he's called me, uh, said that I come from a group of people that tend to get a little too excited. And an example of that was I got to go to a conference where a lot of people graduated from my college. And wow, there were about 45 pastors in the room, and that roof was raised when we were singing. They were bellering out. Some of them said amen a little too loudly and a little too often. Might have been for attention, might not. I don't know. But uh, if you look at the type of personality I am, ask my parents, ask anybody who's watched a football game with me, be it live or on TV, um, <laughs> it gets a little rowdy. I get very excited. I get into it. And that's the same way that I'm able to tried to transfer that into the study of the Word of God and how I see the Bible. Now, uh, Pastor Fleming, I don't know, I've never watched a football game with you, but you don't seem like the type of person that would jump out of your seat over a first down when the team is down by 20 points that you're cheering for. He doesn't seem like the type of person that'll do that. Me, I will. All right, we got a first down in our 20. Comeback is starting. Uh, okay, but... This is what we're commanded to do in this book. We're commanded to contend for the faith. But again, in all seriousness, we're, we look at who we're to contend for. We're not to be contentious just for the sake of fighting or just to stab each, to uh, go out and pick a fight. Look, we see who we are to contend with. Look there in verse 4. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men. And we're going to look at the characteristics of this. These are ungodly men who have crept into the church. They have gotten into the back door. Either they knew all the right words to say, or they have uh, found a way to 
put themselves in positions of influence within Christianity, either by buying their influence or outright deceptiveness in other ways, or backhanded. Or That is why uh, nepotism is such a dangerous thing within churches. It's okay within a family business, but the church is not a family business. A church is a ministry of God, and that's why we need to be careful about it. Thank you. Um, so these ungodly men, how do you recognize them? Look down there in verse 4. It tells you right there. They turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now, does anybody here tell me what lasciviousness means? Anybody? We got a school teacher here. We got college graduates. Anybody know what lascivious means? We got people with master's degrees here. Don't know if we have any doctorates, do we? No, I don't think so. Lasciviousness means a license. It means giving a license to something. Now, uh, when you are, a couple of us are CDL drivers, when you're given a license to drive a commercial vehicle, that means you can operate normally, depending on what your license says, you can operate a vehicle that is 80,000 pounds on a road that is designated as such, and they're marked on maps. It's given you a license to do that. Now, you don't want some 16-year-old who was trained in driver's ed to drive a four to 5,000-pound car getting behind the wheel of an 80,000-pound vehicle. We all have seen the damage that can be done, right, Jason? With the small little vehicle. Imagine if that were a big truck. There would have been a lot more damage done. That is what a license is. A license is something that most people don't allow to have, and this is used in a negative term here. They're taking the grace of God that God has given us, uh, this grace that is supposed to be used so we don't, that we are not burdened with following all the ritualistic laws of the Old Testament. We're not burdened with those so that we can go out, we can go into all nations and preach the gospel. We're told they, and these ungodly men, take that grace and they spin it and try to use it as a license to commit all kinds of sin, to do anything, to just keep on living the way you were, to be unchanged in your lifestyle, to not set forth any type of testimony. Those are some of the men who are weird to contend with. <coughs> and then we see also they're described as ungodly men. These ungodly men are people who condemn God. We've all seen the people who take this Bible and they go find some place in the Old Testament that doesn't match up with the Western culture and try to use it to condemn God. Trying to accuse Him of genocide in the Old Testament when He told Israel to wipe out the people of the land who were committing infanticide. They were sacrificing babies born out of fornication on a burning altar. And God told them to wipe out those cultures. And these ungodly men want to come into the church and claim that God is not holy, right, or just because He ordered these people to be killed and destroyed? That's absolute ridiculousness. And then they accuse God of trying to promote slavery, and that slavery is promoted in the Bible, or that even divorce was allowed within the Bible, when God clearly states that that was not intent. God put those things in place so that because of the wickedness of men's own heart, it wasn't because he was winking at it or smiling at it. It was because he understood that we were wicked people and we're sinners. And God's grace had not been given at that point in time. So the people that come in, these ungodly men, to want to turn the grace into a license to sin and then try to condemn God, act as if they are holier than him and no more than him. He is the one who created all. And then they even go so far, it says right there, and denying the only Lord God. They deny that there is one God. Different cults, different sects will say some things. They'll try to promote the worship of nature. Why would you worship 
It makes absolutely no sense, even completely removing it from the Bible. Why would you worship something that was created? Worship the Creator, who we're commanded to worship. That's the one who's worthy of praise. When you look at a car, you don't praise the car and say, that car is such a genius. No, you look at the person who designed it and put it all together. That person is the one that has genius. That's the person who put in the time, the work, and the effort. goes the same way with creation. And then, looking down further in that verse, and it says, and our Lord Jesus Christ, denying our Lord Jesus Christ, denying that He was God, saying He was just a man or that Mary was a liar. We said, virgin birth, just try to get out of the culture, just to escape the cultural taboos of that time. Those are the men we are to contend for the faith with. And those are the people that have crept in unawares. And then he goes on to warn us, says in verse 5, And I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. To, look at, to understand what he's talking about, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. going to read an awful big portion of the Scripture. It's an awful long story. Try to stay awake with me as we go through it. It says, And when we departed from Horeb, it's talking about the children of Israel here, talking about how God destroyed those that did not believe. Let's look exactly what he's talking about. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which he saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. And ye came near unto me, and said, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they will search us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up. And into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me. This is Moses recounting the example of what happened when they came to Kadesh Barnea. And the saying pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you, one of every tribe. And they turned and went up into the mountain. And came into the valley of Eshcol. And searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands. And brought it down unto us. And brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding... Ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to destroy us, in the, into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. And I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you, according to all that he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee, as a man doth bear his son, in all the way that ye went, until you came unto this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, 
in fire by night to show you what way by you should go, and in a cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men in this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jeshupheth, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, saying, Thou also shalt not go in thither. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which he said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither. And unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you, and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And he answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And when ye girded in every man his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest ye be smitten before your enemies. So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up the hill. And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Horman. And ye returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. So ye abode in Kadesh many days, according unto the days that ye abode there. We see the first example. Now is an awful long passage of Scripture. That's the first example that is being talked about here in Jude. These people that rebelled against God twice. When God first told them to go up in the land, no, 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 we don't want to go. There's giants there. They'll destroy us. They'll destroy our families. They'll tear us to shreds. God, you're not big enough. You made those giants, but you're not big enough to take them out. And then when God condemns them, saying, you have no faith, you're not going to go up in it, none of you are going to see it, then they realize their mistake. And then they made this same mistake again. They rebelled against God a second time and presumptuously went up the hill, thinking that they could just take it on their own, and they were whipped. They were chased down from the hill. And for 40 years, they ended up wandering in the wilderness because twice they disobeyed God. That is a warning. That is one of the warnings that is given here in Jude. And then you see there the warning of the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness and the judgment of the great day. Turn in Isaiah. This, this, one, this passage won't be nearly as long, I promise. Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, we'll look at verses 12 through 19. Talking about the angels here. Disobeyed God. Particularly Lucifer when he fell. We won't go into all the details of it, but we'll get the gist of it. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which is weak in the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. 
yet thou shalt be brought down to hell in the so- to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that did make the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden underfoot. Judas point to remembrance two things so far. We've looked at two of them. And we're not going to turn to the passage of the second one, or the third, third and final one. But he also talks about Sodom and Gomorrah there in verse 17. These are three prime examples of people rebelling against God. And Jude is trying to warn the church of these men who have crept in unawares. What will happen if the church follows these men? What will happen if the faith is not contended for? That the church will be made desolate. That it won't inherit what it should inherit, and what are the blessings that God has set aside for it. And also it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was completely wiped out because they took extreme license with sin, with homosexuality and immorality. Even to this day, horrible and decadent sexual acts are called sodomy. That's how bad they were. And yet, men want to creep in and turn the grace of God and try to take the grace of God and twist it to turn the church back towards that lifestyle. Back towards that drunken, rebellious nature. It's absolute foolishness. And then they talk about, if you look, for, look at some of the other sins, look down there in verse 11, where it talks about they have gone in the way of Cain. What was Cain's great sin? What was Cain's great sin? Even before he became the first murderer and killed his own brother, what did he do? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, he brought the wrong sacrifice. He disobeyed something. God told him that a proper sacrifice, what he needs is a shedding of blood, and he needed a lamb. Cain thought he knew better than God. Thought, oh, God will be happy, just, just my best. I'll just do what I can do and bring it to God. No, when God gives us a command, he, follow, he expects us to follow it. And you see that in the example of Cain there. Cain did bring his best, but it wasn't what God wanted. And then you look at the uh, error of Balaam. Balaam thought he, could, thought he could play both sides of God. He thought he could play with both the world and against the, the children of Israel in the wilderness and get rich while doing it. That didn't work for him. He was cursed. And then you see uh, Kor. Uh, that man, uh, something I learned this week, his story is found in Numbers, verse 16. And that is called Corinth in the Old Testament, where he tried, he and his followers, wise men, men of high esteem, thought to replace God's chosen leadership by themselves, thought they knew better than God. And they and everyone that followed them, the ground opened up and swallowed them whole alive. These are, these are the people who don't, people who come in unawares and have tried to take the church down the wrong path. That's what they're taking the church to, and that's their destiny. Am I saying that everybody who preaches a heresy, the ground will open up and swallow them alive? Or they'll be burned alive in their house with fire and brimstone? No, I'm not saying that. 
But what I am saying that the Bible does show, and the Bible does tell us clearly here, that they're leading you onto a path that God has destroyed people for. So why are you doing it? Why would the church allow that? Those are the people we are to fight and contend with the faith for. And then we're told, we're going to skip an awful lot, so we're running a little short on time here, but we're going to go down to how we are to build our faith and how we are to build God's work here. And we're going to look, at, starting there in verse 20. And it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So we see there how we are to build a church and how God wants us to do it, and how we are to pr- preserve the faith, and how we're to make it sure it keeps alive. The, fir- the first thing we have to do, the prerequisite to all of this, is that we have to constantly be searching for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 20. Building in yourselves the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, constantly focusing on the love of God, and constantly focusing on the mercy of Jesus Christ, that, and constantly sharing that. That's what we are to do. And of some people, we need to have compassion. Just think, think about this way, particularly baby Christians that come in. They're going to do things that, just like all babies do, babies make messes. Babies put their food where it should not go. They need a diaper kept on them to keep them from making a real mess all over the house. We need to have compassion on those. Now, this compassion, some, some people try to take this out of context and, oh, have compassion on me. I don't know how to be a good Christian. That compassion does not extend to a person like me. A person like me, I've been brought to church by my parents, and this is a reflection on them, the grace of God, nothing about me, but... I haven't brought to church since I was a baby. I have no excuse. I should not do things that need a great outpouring of compassion. Some, if someone in my position messes up, they are to be rebuked. That's plain and simple, and we'll get down to that in the next verse. But baby Christians, we're taught those who we lead to Christ, when they mess up, we're to have compassion on them, and we're to have patience with them. And then it talks about, and it says the second way to do it, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I've often heard uh, individuals talk against the type of preaching that is heard in this church. People in the community saying, oh, you just try to scare people into going to heaven. You preach about and talk about hell too much. Okay, that is absolutely ridiculousness. When you're a little child, when my little son Rick reaches for the stove, I don't tell him, son, if you love daddy, you will not touch the stove. No, I tell him, get your hand, stop, get your hand away from that, you will burn it. That is owie. You do not touch that. The same thing applies when you're teaching people about heaven and hell. It's not beating them over the head if you tell them of the consequences of their sin. You have to do it lovingly. You can't do it viciously or uh, with the anger of man. However, to tell them that there is a hell, that's not, that's not unreasonable, and that's not unscriptural. And it's something that, if, if you're going to do it with your own child, if you're going to try to scare your own child, right, that's perfectly fine. You tell your kid not to run out on the road, because he's going to get hit with the car if he does. Oh, the trauma you've inflicted on that poor child. How could you tell him he could be hit by a car? Now he will go through life scarred and inhibited. No, that's ridiculousness. 
The same thing when we preach about hell. No, it's not going to inhibit a Christian's growth. It should inspire them to tell others about the gospel. Because how can you truly say you love someone if you believe hell is real, if you believe that if someone does not repent of their sins and turn to Christ, they're going to hell? How much would you have to hate that person to not tell them about it? Just think about that. So there's no basis for that flawed reasoning that says you can't preach on hell. We're told right here, some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Going to verse 24, where uh, Jude closes out this passage. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And we see the example in that last verse, that all the praise, all the glory for anything that we do in our Christian life should go straight to God. Man should not take any of it upon himself. Uh, if, uh, if, a man is, if a man is used by God to lead a great number of people to the Lord, that is not because that man is a particularly great Christian. It is because God has chosen him as a vessel to use him. And all the glory goes to God. That is how we should contend for our faith. And that is how we are to behave. I uh, won't have an invitation today. We'll just close out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father,